Well, hey, everybody. It's Mike. And I'm solo again. Uh, Alina's on vacation, but uh, I'm excited about today's show. It, it promises to hopefully provide some great insight. Insight into our topic of the Our Father. So, sit back and let's get ready to practice. Well, thank you, everybody. I am excited about today's topic, the Our Father. Uh, as I mentioned, Alina's on uh, vacation this week, so uh, we wish her well and uh, enjoying her time off. But today's topic, the Our Father. So, just going to jump right into this so that we can really start our learning. First, as we know, uh, the Our Father uh, is found uh, in our Mass in the Eucharistic Rite uh, after the completion of the consecration uh, and before the uh, Lamb of God. And, you know, it's a communal prayer. And the wisdom of the church, and especially in Christ, in teaching us how to pray is so important. And today, I think there's still so much more we can really learn from what Christ was teaching us in terms of the Our Father. Uh, first, uh, if you want to find it, it can be found in Matthew uh, chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 11. Luke's is uh, slightly different. Matthew's follows more what we hear within the Mass itself. So, uh, I do want to point that out to you as to where you can find it within sacred scripture. So, first, let's talk about the structure of the Our Father. Just like the Golden Rule, and just like the Ten Commandments, the setup is the same. The first part of the Our Father is about God. So, in reflection on our Ten Commandments, the first three are about God, and the last seven are about neighbor. When we look at the golden rule, right, there's two parts. Love God, and again, I'm summarizing here, and then love neighbor. So, God is always first, and it's the same within the Our Father. The structure follows the same. The first part is about God, love of God. The second part is about love of neighbor. It's also a communal prayer. Um, this is found not just within the Catholic faith, but all Christian faiths really know the Our Father, whether you're Lutheran, Baptist, um, Presbyterian. We are familiar with this amazing prayer. But again, just to kind of highlight, the first three parts are about, are about God the Father. Then it moves into communal prayer, or it, which includes prayer for us. But if you notice in the, in the verbiage used or the words used, it's about us, meaning myself and neighbor, not just me. And I will be honest, there are many times where I'm thinking just about myself, but really the prayer is, is meant for us and neighbor, us individually, but us as a community, us as a, as a church of faith. So starting from there, there's a lot of hidden beauty within the Our Father. And so today's podcast is going to be probably a little bit shorter. Because I really hope you take with this some time for greater reflection, greater impact um, on your prayer life, and greater impact on your celebrating your own faith. So, when you look at the Our Father, first, again, we talked about structure. It's never, that structure is so prevalent 
God and neighbor, that it's really within everything. Again, that's why Catholic, again, meaning worldwide. It's not just praying for me, praying for my neighbor. It's honoring God the right way. So, what's hidden in the Our Father? And as I've studied this, and, you know, there's a misconception, and and let me just kind of stop here real fast, with regard to moral theology. When we hear the word moral, there is positive and negative connotation associated with that word. And oftentimes, we think about obligation. We have to choose right and wrong. And that is part of being moral, choosing something better. But when you come from a perspective of, of obligation, we get stuck in our faith. What I mean by that is, we know we have to go to church on Sunday. Is that an obligation for you? Is that something that, that if that's the perception, right, that, that can actually lead to kind of a negative connotation and how you look at Mass instead of a chance for you to go forward, come together with friends and family, with your loved ones, to thank God, to praise God for the blessings we have in our life. That's more of what they term a morality of happiness. God desires us to be happy. And he wants to give us the tools and the skills to be happy. The first part is relationship. You can't have a strong faith without a strong relationship. The deeper your relationship grows with God, the deeper your faith will grow. And you'll you'll come to a greater sense of happiness. The things that you saw before as obligation, Sunday Mass, become something of happiness. Because in God, if God is first, as we said in the Ten Commandments, in the Our Father, in the Golden Rule, if God is first, then we understand that God is our source of happiness. And then from there, everything else grows. So the order that that we're taught by Jesus in the Our Father is meant for our happiness, not meant for anything else. It's not meant as an obligation. It's meant as guiding us to true happiness. Now, in there is a breakdown of virtue. Buried inside the Our Father are the three theological virtues, as well as the four cardinal virtues. And I have to I have to give credit where credit is due. William Madison is the one who, who I believe points this out uh, in his in his book on moral theology. It's it's an amazing insight. And you know, I read it and I, I studied it uh, and and I wanted to really focus in on it. So let's take the Our Father almost line by line. First, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The virtue assigned to that is faith. The first line of the Our Father is a profession of faith. And it's a profession of praise. That is central to that virtue. The, the theological virtue of faith is professing it and giving thanks to God for God. Second, thy kingdom come. Hope. 
The theological virtue of hope is present. We all hope for heaven. Or at least I hope we do. <laughs> I really do. I, I, that, that should be our end goal as, as, as Catholics, as Christians. We should strive and desire to, to want heaven for relationship with God. I mean, that's where ultimately we will find God. That, that union with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I mean, that's the culmination of our life as a Catholic. And that hope springs eternal. The next line. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Love can also be viewed as charity. As we know, Paul uh, designs or, or speaks about charity, which for in his scripture writing is really love. The love of God's will. Not my will, God's will. For it to be accomplished. For my participation. My part in this role, in this process. That's what my love is meant to do. To help build the kingdom of God. To inspire others, to impact the other, you know, others in, that that are in my life, whether that's family or friends, students, whomever, ministering to people in need. That is love. That is charity. That's what our father, the our father, is teaching us. So, in the beginning, this first part, as I said, as I said in the beginning, is about God. It's about a right relationship with God. That's part of a moral life. So the second part, as we go further into it. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to pause here for a minute, kind of let you think. So there are four cardinal virtues. They are temperance, prudence, justice, and fortitude. So again, give us this day our daily bread. So... The virtue assigned to this line is prudence. Um, if you said temperance, that's probably okay too, but really prudence makes the most sense. Why? Prudence is about right thinking. It's an amazing virtue that helps us understand what we really need. That's what we're asking for in this line. Not for abundance. Not for excess. We are asking for, out, for us to receive individually what we need that day. No more, no less. Just that day. We're also asking that our neighbor, whom we're called to love, receives what he or she needs that day. No more, no less. Just what they need. That's prudence. The next one. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, depending on your translation, depending on how it's translated from the Greek and the Hebrew, you may say debts, you may say sins. That's fine. We understand what is being asked here, or what's being said. It is a better way to put it. This is... The virtue of justice. Restorative justice. We think about, when we look at scriptures, so many times where 
Jesus is a, is is that restorative justice. He's bringing back. He brings right relationship. And he's bringing people back to wholeness. There's a couple of examples that that stand out to mind. The first, the lady caught in adultery. They bring her to Jesus. What do they say? Lord, this woman's been committed. You know, committed adultery. The law, you know, the law says we should stone her. Jesus bends down, starts drawing in the dirt. No one really knows what he drew in the dirt, but and there's there's a million different theories and uh, from a- academic theologians out there that are very very good. But regardless of what he wrote, this is his response: "Let he who is not sin cast the first stone." And everybody walked away. And what does he say in the end? He he looks up. He said, "You know, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you?" And the lady responds, no. And he basically says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Brings her back, restores her to her wholeness. That's what we're asked to do. That's what we ask God to do when we pray for justice in our life. That that we can overcome the sin that we're struggling with. That we can forgive our neighbor. That they, That God will forgive our neighbor too. Justice. The next one. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So we've got two virtues left. you got fortitude and you got temperance. And this one really aligns with temperance. So, for those who are unfamiliar with temperance, temperance is the virtue that helps us learn how to manage sensual aspects of our life. Specifically, things such as food and drink. So, lead us not into, lead us not into temptation. God doesn't lead us into temptation. So understanding the, the, you know, what's being asked here, I think helps clarify what's being done or what Jesus was trying to teach us. God does not lead us into temptation. But the virtue of temperance, when we pray for it, allows us to really bring balance into our life. When I pray, lead, lead me not into temptation. I'm praying that God, that, that the Holy Spirit, that the Father, that the Son, they bestow upon me temperance so that I can rightly enjoy things. I don't become gluttonous. I don't overeat. I don't overdrink. That is what we're asking for here. For the for temperance to control us, to control those desires, those emotions that we really can't control. And finally, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. It's the virtue of fortitude. Fortitude, when we think about it, means strength. It doesn't mean in this line that we are not going to have challenges. It doesn't say, and take them away from me. Deliver. Deliver can mean going through the challenge. But it is the gift of fortitude, the virtue of fortitude that's bestowed upon us, that gives us the strength to overcome the challenges that we're faced with. At the same time, fortitude 
prevents you from being overcome, right? And, and I think about, in this particular instance, the agony in the garden. It's a beautiful demonstration of fortitude, how, how Christ himself demonstrates fortitude. Here is Jesus praying, sweating blood, knowing what's going to happen. And so he says, "My and, and Lord, you know, Father, let this pass. Let this cup pass for me. But not my will, your will be done. What's the significance of that? As I've reflected about this, as I've prayed about it, as I, in preparing for the show, I realize it's an example of true fortitude that we can seek to emulate, that we can seek to be inspired by. Jesus understood the task before him and persevered until the end. More importantly, he was never overcome, meaning that he did not, like Judas, despair and run off and leave God. And, and maybe Peter's also a great example. Peter denied Christ three times. And when he, after he had failed, what did he do? He prayed, and he returned. He returned to the apostles. Stronger from the failure he experienced. We know in John that there's the threefold affirmation that he will later undergo after Christ has risen. But the fortitude that we see in Jesus and in Peter, carried them not past or didn't take away the difficulty, it strengthened them in that challenging time. So, how can this really help us? You know, when we, when we pray, understanding that the words of the Our Father, maybe when we say it in Mass, or maybe if you say it at home, knowing a little bit more about it will bring a little bit greater emphasis as to the words you're saying. Are we just saying them? What's our intention behind it? I hope to encourage maybe greater intention, greater focus, especially about this prayer. Second, you know, as we think about the Our Father, it it brings us to something that, you know, really is, I think, often overlooked. Prayer is about relationship. And in that relationship, as we pray, you know, we, we are taught to ask God for, to give us what we need. But God knows what we need. This prayer, as, as you study it, as you, as you look at this, God knows what you need. He knows you need faith, hope, love. The, the, Jesus and the Holy Spirit know that you need strength. You need to have your virtue strengthened, whether it's prudence or justice or temperance or fortitude. Jesus understood that all so well that, in a sense, he put those in there for us without us even really knowing. The knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, is there. And it's always good, you you know, this is one example of a prayer that has special meaning. This prayer was so important. Back in the early church, uh, you're talking, you know, 300 AD, there's a book called the, the Didache. And the Didache was 
basically a manual on living a moral life and the liturgy. It kind of helped outline things in the early church. The Our Father was so important that they recommended it being prayed three times a day. Not just once, three times. They didn't specify the time, but they recommended praying this prayer three times a day. So, the Our Father in our church, in, our, in the beautiful faith we have, has powerful, powerful impact. It's meant for so much more. So this week, as you pray, I ask you to take time to reflect. Really think about these aspects. Think about the virtues and pray that God will strengthen you in those areas that you need. That God will continue to guide you and bless you so that you can achieve as well. With that, everyone, I just want to say thank you for your time. I hope you've enjoyed it. As always, if you haven't had the opportunity yet, please take a moment to look at our Patreon page. We are hoping that uh, this show will continue to inspire you uh, in your faith life, in your faith journey, that it will help answer questions, that it will become a source that will provide you pathways for greater understanding and, and just greater love for God. The Patreon page does have some special... Uh, features, special posts, special shows. The All the money uh, that's raised through that supports programming. It's all listed on our Patreon page. If you haven't had a chance to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor, please do so. That's all I ask. Until then, God bless you and keep practicing.